Hey everyone, this is a Faithfully Radical podcast where we're going to teach and equip families on the authority of God's Word. Let's get to it. Hello everyone, and thanks for sitting down with us again on another episode of a Faithfully Radical podcast. My name is Timothy Carey, and I'm going to be your host here tonight. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay. These are interesting times we're living through, um, and I know there's a lot going on, a lot of very, very different things with a lot of people going on out there, struggling with uh, being home, struggling with e-learning with their kids, struggling with uh, being out of work, struggling with uh, everything. Uh, this is a really, a really tough time, and this is a really interesting time, and I just want to encourage you guys to just remember to be in the Word in this time. Remember to keep up your prayer life, even if it's just saying the Lord's Prayer over and over. Just try and reach out to God and use this time to really try and dig into the Word and see where our eternal hope lies. No matter what's going on in this world and no matter how bad it seems, we know we have eternal hope in Jesus Christ that nothing in this world could ever touch or ever mess with. Um, no matter even if that looks like us going home tomorrow or or us losing our house or anything like that, no matter what, nothing can touch the glory of God and, and, and the hope and love we have in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And I hope that we're all doing okay out there. We're in prayer over you. Um, we're in prayer over really everyone. We've been doing um, prayers over over the global people, over our brothers and sisters everywhere on earth, and that this time would be not just a time of finding healing in such a time of sickness, but finding spiritual healing, and that this time, no matter what it looks like on an earthly level, that this time would be used to glorify God, because that's what everything's about. That's what everything is to you. And no matter what kind of sin is in the world, no matter uh, no matter what kind of terrors we seem like we're going through, no matter what, everything it, everything can be used to the glory of God. And I, I hope I hope that we're seeing that through this. I hope that we're seeing um, our time with our family and maybe a slowing down for a season. Um, really trying I, I know there's sickness out there and I'm not trying to discount that at all. but, if you're home and and you're with your kids and you're with your spouse or or even even just with you, build up that relationship with the Lord. Remember, remember the promises that that He has made to us and our covenants to our spouses and uh, to the rest of the church body, and dwell on His Word. Keep it in your heart. Uh, remember where our eternal hope lies, and I I really hope that that's um, what we're able to do. And, and if not, reach out in prayer. Um, reach out to us for prayer. Uh, reach out to a friend or a family member and just get that prayer circle around you and, and dive into the Word. I know this is going to be an interesting time, and we'll see how it all ends up, but I do pray, we all here pray, uh, that it would be a time for God to be glorified no matter what happens. So diving into kind of what we're talking about, switching gears here, um, we're going to do, uh, we've been doing our study on biblical canon, uh, and we're going to wrap it up here. So kind of what I want to do to wrap up is um, flesh out, in a small way, flesh out a couple things that I've touched on in previous episodes. Uh, we've looked at an overview of the Bible and, and really how the 
New Testament and Old Testament were compiled uh, by the early church, by the apostles, um, uh, by by the Jewish peoples in the Old Testament, and why and how those were made canon, how and uh, the questions that were asked to kind of verify them, what we see through God speaking through them. Um, and we kind of touched on the Apocrypha, uh, the books uh, that aren't included in our in our uh, canon, um, the 66 books of the Bible. And what I kind of touched on there was that there are differences in orthodoxy where some churches do have um, apocryphal, or uh, in this case, we're going to talk about the Roman Catholic Church, which has uh, what's called deuterocanonical canonical books in the Old Testament, uh, added books to the Old Testament. I want to kind of touch on that briefly um, and really kind of touch on why we know that the Bible is the infallible Word of God and what we have is the infallible Word of God, uh, and just kind of wrap up uh, this biblical canon series, which I I hope and I pray has been edifying for you, that it gives you um, some good information and a good foundation to know that what you you put your faith in, uh, what we know is God's Word, is true. Uh, No matter what anyone else is trying to tell us, no matter what culture says, that we know that this is the God-breathed truth, and that Christ came as the living Word, the the embodiment of the Word of God. So what I want to touch on here is what the Roman Catholic Church and their Bible, which actually has seven uh, extra books added. Uh, so we know, what we talked about in the Apocryphal episode, just to kind of briefly touch on that, are these books of the Bible that uh, aren't included in our normal canon. They're considered Apocrypha. Um, they were once up for consideration or purported to be uh, the Word of God, but shown later to really not be. And we covered a lot of that in the Apocryphal episode. Uh, and so looking at the Roman Catholic Church, um, even pretty uh, quickly through the early church after Christ, you know, within the first few hundred years, Roman Catholicism really developed relatively quickly into more of a political force, forming the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, They were really big. It was what everyone knew who was a Christian at the time. Uh, They had their Bible called the Latin Vulgate. There was not a personal Bible at home yet that you could sit down and read. Um, everything, every teaching came from uh, people in the Catholic Church, the clergymen, uh, you know. So for many years, most of the church in the Western world really followed this overt power. But in many ways, Catholicism strayed quite drastically uh, from what we would consider biblical Christianity. Uh, much of what they worked at was to formalize the things they believed through different councils, and that's something else I've touched on, are these eucumenical councils. Um, there's different th- ones around that. There's different uh, things called synods, uh, which were meetings of the assemblies of the clergy, and they really did a formalization of confirming these books of the Bible uh, basically on, on popular vote with the clergymen of the time. Uh, they affirmed the standard 66 books of the canon, which we have today, but they also add, the Catholic Church adds seven deuterocanonical books of the Old Testament. Um, so these are books that would generally be considered um, outside of Scripture, um, really not um, what we today, out, you know, outside of the Catholic faith, would consider, uh, partic- would consider Scripture or God-breathed Scripture. Um, And these books include Tobias, Judith, Baruch, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, 
and First and Second Maccabees. Uh, those are the seven added books to their Old Testament. Uh, and we see there was a definitive marking of this in the Council of Florence, which is one of these councils, in 1442, where a, a, a council of clergy established the official list of 46 books of the Old Testament that with the seven added and the 27 of the New Testament, uh, which is what we also have, 27 in the New Testament. Uh, and there's many reasons f- for this, why they did this, and and honestly, um, for us outside of the Catholic faith, looking at the at the uh, Bible that we have and why we have it, it really shouldn't concern us. And there's many reasons this shouldn't concern us. Um, the most obvious thing about them today being heretical is that they do idol worship. And we're going to talk more about this on the next episode. We're going to interview uh, one of my board members who actually came out of the Catholic Church um, and we're going to discuss that a little bit on the next episode. But when we look back at how the church began to split, uh, we really can see why we have 66 books and Catholics have Bibles with 73. Uh, like we talked about in the previous episodes, the apocryphal books, including these seven, really cannot be verified enough to be considered true, and they weren't considered authoritative by the early church. These writings were adopted much later, and actually one of the earliest lists showing them being uh, one of the being the synods which again is the an assembly of clergy it was the synods of hippo in the year 393 roughly 300 years after the apostolic time of the early church and so that's a lot of time to pass to include these books and that's just the first thing that comes to mind when looking at why these would be considered outside of the realm of canon um we see the that's a that's a lot of time for room and error, and we really have to consider that, that when you consider the rest of the New Testament, um, and Old Testament even, how closely it was followed through history, and how closely we can track the majority of the authors of these books and where they came from, you're leaving a lot of room for error to include these in genuine scripture reading or to consider them to be God-breathed. And we really see the major split in canon in the 16th century with the Reformation. Um, so, and if you don't know, or even if you do, the Reformation uh, happened in the 1500s. Um, it, it was a buildup of a lot of things. Um, the Holy Roman Empire had its hand in a lot of stuff. Uh, they were mostly trying to amass wealth in any way they really could, uh, which brought into the uh, which brought into the realm this idea of indulgences. And they actually would go around selling um, these indulgences, and you could buy one, and it would um, forgive a sin or forgive a multitude of sins, or it could uh, get someone out of purgatory, a family member. It, it could help them escape from purgatory. And they also set up these essentially these museums with holy relics, you know, pieces of the burning bush, uh, a piece of Moses's staff, things like that. Obviously ridiculous. Uh, that 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 would bring them in cash. And um, the most famous person. Uh, really involved in the Reformation and really in this change in history, because uh, this really saw a historic change after this, would be Martin Luther, uh, who wrote out uh, uh, these theses that he really wanted to debate on a, uh, on a, on a scale with, um, with members of the Holy Roman Church, and uh, it exploded, obviously, into a whole, a whole other thing. And he also translated the Bible from 
the Latin Vulgate into German, giving the the peoples really their first Bible that they could read at home. And this caused a a, a wide amount of change. Not only did we see the Reformation happened, um, and Martin Luther's where we get Lutheranism, um, there's the Reformed group, and really after that breaking out of the Holy Roman is where we see many of, uh, of the modern-day sects of Christianity uh, um, forming this is this is really where their birth came and and even before Martin Luther's death we already saw the formation of the Lutherans and the Protestants so it, it begun very early and that's why uh, that split happened from the Holy Roman Empire essentially uh, and in 1534 is when he translated Martin Luther translated the Bible into German and that's when we see one of the uh, really kind of first uh, times that now that this is really when we see uh, the official grouping of the seven deuterocanonical books of the Old Testament under the title Apocrypha. And he even said, these books which are not held equal to the sacred scriptures and are yet useful and good for teaching. Um, so these are books that we can read, that we can take into consideration, and like I've said before, can put certain things in other biblical books into context, but there's nothing that's going to... Um, be convincing that they are the God-breathed truth of Scripture. The Church of England put together their 39 articles of religion uh, that's actually stated, these deuterocanonical books may be read for example of life and instruction of manners, although they should not be used to establish any doctrine. Um, essentially saying they're interesting historical books, um, they, you know, they fit in uh, loosely with some of these things talked about in the Bible, uh, so they're they're good to you can read them. That's fine, but we can't establish actual Christian doctrine out of these. And what we're really seeing here in the Reformation is truly a taking back of biblical Christianity. Christianity really got lost in the weeds and the mire of Catholicism for many hundreds of years um, in this process and this system of really trying to set up an empire and amass wealth is what we saw for a long time. Um, but mostly after the Reformation, many things changed. Principle among them was bringing the Bible back to its total authority. Now, that's not to say this was all clean. Luther, who designated the apocryphal books as apocryphal, struggled with some of the New Testament books as well. But time, I feel like time has really shown, time study um, archaeology, his, the, the study of ancient literatures has really shown how correct he was in, uh, in, in taking them out, or in including them in the New Testament, uh, because there was a few that he considered, that he wasn't sure about in the New Testament. But I think we see those affirmed over and over and over again. And we're going to discuss a little bit more about Catholicism on our next episode. Uh, like I said, with one of our board members, his name is Christopher Wayner. And so I hope, uh, I hope you all tune in for that one. Now, to kind of sum up and really close out this series, what I'd like to do is to look at what Scripture has to say for itself. Scripture, over and over again, affirms itself and its infallibility. History has solidified what the Bible has said, contrary to what culture would generally have us believe. And I want to look at some areas in which, in Scripture, where the Bible addresses itself. I think one of the most uh, famous verses that really addresses this would be 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that's, that's, that's a popular verse for an obvious reason. It really points out 
how reliable the Bible is, that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture, all, it doesn't say some, it doesn't say you could consider this, it doesn't say this is a debatable topic, this is a minor, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God all of Scripture. And that's something we have to keep in mind when we think about these things, like the canon of the Bible. Where did we get it? Oh, it was written by men. Really, it wasn't. Uh, If we look at the Bible, if we believe the Bible, we see multiple, I mean, dozens of times where where God worked through, uh, that's what the Bible is about, where God worked through people, whether they be normal people he's fulfilling his will throughout earth with, uh, the prophets who actually could see what was going to happen and describe these visions of future events of the Christ coming. Uh, And we have to believe that as, as we read these, that Scripture is breathed out by God. It wasn't just men who could make mistakes. This is what God put into our hands. We see in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. We have to keep that in mind. We have to consider that. What does that even mean? That it's living and working and active in us. That as we read the Word of God, as the people, as the church of God, believers, followers of Christ come together, as they read the Word and use it to enrich their life, to edify themselves, to gain wisdom and discernment, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of really weeding it out, what it is that we think, what it is that we believe. That's another way we know that the Bible itself is God-breathed truth, because it's the only thing that can make us realize the truth about ourselves and the truth about the reality of the world and of what Christ did for us on the cross. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades. All of these things of the world are fleeting. They will pass. We're seeing so much of that even now. And I'm not rejoicing that. I'm not, I'm not praising that. But what I'm saying is it's a reality that we have to face. The things of this world are fleeting. The grass withers, the flower fades. But, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. And I want to take a look at what did Christ say about the scriptures. This is super important for us to do every time we have a consideration or a question or 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 a doubt. Uh, we are Christians. Christ is the central figure of our entire faith. If we believe what we say we believe, Christ is the entire central figure of the whole Bible, of the whole of creation. It all hinged on what he did on the cross. So if we believe in Christ, we inherently need to believe that what he said was truth. And let's see what he said about the scriptures. Matthew tells us in, in chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. Giving us a clear picture that not only did Christ believe the scriptures as they were written up until that point, not only did he consider them true and that they were God-breathed, not only did he absolutely rely on them, but he actively says that he is the fulfillment 
of that, that he is the fulfillment of what they spoke of throughout those. If there's no Old Testament, if there's no reliability in the Old Testament, there's no Christ. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law. All of this is still relevant, is what he's saying. All of this is still what you need to edify yourself, to learn more about me. Read this. It will not go away until we are all reconciled back into the new heaven and earth. Let's look at another spot in, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke twenty four forty four. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Again, telling them that, what I told you while I was with you, everything must be fulfilled in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Old Testament is speaking, is directly pointing from the first verse to the last verse of the Old Testament, is pointing to Jesus Christ. And then we see again uh, Christ saying in Luke twenty four twenty seven. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So he started with that. That's what he taught as he was teaching these people. He interpreted to them the things written about himself in the scriptures. He was reading to them the Old Testament and pointing them to himself where it spoke about him, that it was all pointing to him. We see again in Luke, Luke 16, verse 31, he replied to him, if they do not respond to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Basically saying, if you don't believe what Moses and the prophets and everyone else wrote in the Old Testament, you can't be convinced, even, even if someone rises from, even if I come back from the dead, which is what he, which is what we know he did. He's saying, if you can't believe that, you can't believe in me either. And that's so poignant. That's so showing how critical it is that these scriptures are actually God-breathed. And even looking at them from a historicity kind of sense in relation to Christ, we remember the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah came down and actually fellowshiped with Christ on the side of this mountain. They were speaking about something, showing that they were real, actual people. We are not questioning this, um, that that their writings were true and verified wholly, not only outside of the Bible, but by Christ himself. Christ believed the scriptures. John tells us in his book that Christ is the living word. He's the embodiment of these scriptures. And if our faith is truly in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then we cannot even begin to discount the scriptures. He himself verified them on multiple occasions. He himself was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then as we looked at in our Old New Testament episode, we see how we got that. And it was the early church fathers who had been with Christ, who saw all this happen, who came up and lived with him and followed him or or knew him or knew or was in the circle around him, all wrote about what was going on and that they were inspired by God to do that. And I hope that's what you take away from this, that all of the Bible was inspired by God. And what it really means is that inherently all of our lives then are all for Jesus. And the only way that we can live for him and grow in relationship with him is to be in his word and to trust that what it says from the first to the last verse is true because he believed that and because he is the central figure of our faith. And not only that, but we have history, archaeology, we have the backup to prove these things are true. And I hope that that's what you're taking away from this series. Um, I, I, I pray for you guys. Um, I hope and pray 
that that God is with you, that you are feeling his presence. Um, I hope you'll tune in with us next time in two weeks. Uh, we're going to sit down with my friend Chris and uh, talk about his testimony of coming out of the Catholic Church, of, of finding Christ again uh, a- after coming out of this situation. And I, I pray you're all doing well. I pray you're all engaging with your families. I pray you're all um, staying plugged in to church in some way. Uh, and and I, I hope this is getting you through a, a, <laughs> a little 30-minute period of quarantine. We love you guys. Pray for us, and we'll pray for you.